nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 89 I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. After a decent hiatus, all-star break, and then we just took last week off just because, but it's good to be back with you both. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. And you know what? It was prescient. We knew we didn't need to talk about those games because our world was going to be turned upside down by John Horst. So anything we had talked about previously would have been totally useless, and now it's a whole new vista for the podcast, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm also doing pretty well. It's nice and sunny and warm up here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and uh, we're hanging in there. Yeah, I'm good as well. Um, weather as well is great, and thankfully, Wisconsin, pretty much the whole state of Wisconsin could be eligible for this COVID vaccine starting tomorrow, so that's going to be exciting um, because 70% of the state is considered fat by BMI standards, so <laughs> shout out BMI. You're a flawed terrible way of measuring overweight and obesity but for this instance i'll allow it shout, shout out bmi loved love yeah. doing that in my high school culinary education class or whatever i did i remember so like when i was a kid uh i was like super overweight as a kid but like i would look at that and i would be like clearly i'm not obese because i can run like 30 pacers so uh this bmi <laughs> thing is totally fake <laughs> It's definitely not like the most ideal way to measure things. I think it's just like a stopgap, like, oh, you can kind of be like this. This is probably where you're at. I, I think it's okay. I, I'm not here for the BMI slander on this podcast. BMI is the PER of health. <laughs> well, speaking of a guy with a probably decent PER <laughs> and BMI, PJ Tucker is a new arrival to the Milwaukee Bucks, of course, uh, the... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a word below blockbuster. The indie film uh, trade of the Bucks trade deadline season. John Horst up to his old tricks. They make a trade with the Houston Rockets. And there's some interesting pick minutia here that we will get into. But the the meat of the deal is the Milwaukee Bucks get PJ Tucker and Rodion's Kuroks. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Won't really matter. He shouldn't play for the Bucks very much at all. And then they also get their 2022 first round pick back from the Houston Rockets, which was rerouted to them in the Jarrett Allen deal that stemmed from the George Hill deal that you might remember a few years ago. Long-winded way of saying the Rockets then also got DJ Augustine and DJ Wilson swap rights for the Milwaukee Bucks 2021 first round pick this year. So essentially the Rockets will get the Bucks first round pick this upcoming year while Milwaukee will get Houston's second round pick. And then they also get Milwaukee's 2023 first rounder unprotected. So a couple of interesting pieces there that picks net out relatively evenly. 
But the main part of the deal is obviously PJ Tucker arriving to the Bucks while Horst gets rid of DJ Augustine and DJ Wilson. In a separate transaction, they send out Tory Craig to the Phoenix Suns for nothing, for cash considerations, excuse me. And so at this point, we know that the Bucks are getting PJ Tucker. So what did you think about just the just the deal overall, Kyle, when you when you saw it come come down the wire from Woj? It was I mean it was it was kind of one of those where, because we had always been talking about, like, okay, who could the Bucks get? And I just didn't think they would be able to pull off any trade because of the cap constraints. And it was like, well, there's not really much on this team that you could trade for. And I didn't think they'd ever be able to part with DJ Wilson. So seeing that they were able to do that and get PJ Tucker, who may or may not be washed, we don't know. It, it seems as though what my initial thought is, John Horace was able to dig himself out of the hole that he put himself in. By getting by giving DJ Augustine that contract, it was showing that this wasn't really going to work out as well as we thought. And with how much that was impacting the cap, it was kind of like a, all right, well, we're kind of stuck with this guy for another year or two because no one, I don't know what value there's going to be in DJ Augustine. So Horse was able to, re, you know, get himself out of that hole that he dug. He finally got himself out of the DJ Wilson hole that he dug in drafting him in the first place. And the 2022 first round pick that he had sent for George Hill to dig himself out of a hole from giving Delhi and John yeah, Delhi his contract and John Henson's contract from way back. It's like horse is starting to get himself out of it. it. It's good that he at least tried to make this move. It also gives him more flexibility. I don't know how much PG Tucker is going to bring, but it's at least good to know that there was a issue that Milwaukee knew they had in terms of having another backup big, you know, to maybe run more of a switching defense. They were able to bring someone in to do that. Now there's other questions in terms of, you know, who's going to play the backup point guard is, you know, you're pretty much getting at this rate, a top five or 10 pick in the second round at, in to replace your 20 ish pick in the first round. So that's not completely terrible. The 2023 first round pick that they're giving up is a little, it's not great, but I understand like sometimes you ha you have to do these if you want to get out of these type of deals, but good on John horse for at least making, the Bucks a little bit having more flexibility and also kind of rectifying some of the mistakes that he had made earlier. My initial feelings were Kyle's right. I'm so thankful John Horst had that period where he learned under John Hammond because what you need if you're going to be a Milwaukee Bucks GM is the ability to continue to just like roll forward whatever mess you're in. So like John Hammond walked cleaning up Larry Harris's mess so that John Horst could run cleaning up John Hammond's and his own mess as well. So I, I think that's it's indic indicative of how good of a GM John Horst is uh, about uh, DJ the DJs and PJ. Um, Part of me wonders if they move both of DJ Augustine and Wilson because they just got tired of trying to figure out which DJ they were talking about. If the, if that's the case, I understand. Um, kind of cold-blooded to just uh, send DJ Augustine to, <laughs> to the Houston Rockets. Um, I, I was I think I was most surprised by that because it, it seems like it's relatively rare unless it's like an immediate, like not at all culture fit or whatever between you and whoever you signed to just ship a dude off after you sign him to a multi-year contract to like a total loser team. So sorry about that, <laughs> DJ Augustine. Um, I'm not, so when I first saw the deal come across the line, I think I was a little hesitant about it. And I still probably am a little bit, um, the draft compensation, I think it's, it, it makes sense to swap out because at the rate that Houston is losing, they're probably going to be like one of the top picks in that second round. 
So for like cap considerations, I think that makes sense. And as long as you believe in your like draft evaluation, in theory, you should be okay in the top of the second round versus the end of the first. Um, I just don't know what to make of PJ Tucker because he's a guy who doesn't do a whole bunch on offense. Like he'll shoot corner threes, which is fine. Like we have so many guys who have come through this team where it's like your role is just to shoot threes. Uh, I think we've moved away from that a little bit this year, but you can have guys like that at the end of your, like at the back end of your rotation. My main question is if you have a guy who's six foot five, yes, he he's like switchable. Yes. He guards bigs. Yes. He's like a super thick guy. Um, I, I just wonder how much gas is still in the tank for a 35 year old guy to play, you know, any sort of like really aggressive switching defense and still be effective. Now in one game, he looked decent in the minutes that we saw and you will be able to ease him in throughout the rest of the season into the playoffs because we have enough, you know, between Bobby Brooke and PJ, we have enough guys bigs to be able to soak up the minutes. I'm just, I don't see it as like a home run pick. I think Kyle's generally right that you you address a need and we'll just kind of see if that works out in your favor. Um, But I think it was probably like a B trade. You know, you move off of DJ who wasn't doing anything for you and DJ Augustine, if you can find a buyout guy, that's not a huge loss. Um, so yeah, it, decent trade. We'll see how it works out. Anything. So the Tory Craig also gets shipped out. That one was a kind of separate transaction. Is there any thought to like, did Bud give Tory Craig enough time? Do we think he's just generally washed? Because theoretically he kind of came in and, and he could have, technically kind of been the PJ Tucker, right? Not a great shooter, maybe might not, will offer sort of zero offensively, but might be the sort of switchable defensive guy that they wanted. Uh, any reason to think that maybe they just didn't give him enough leash or do we think like, yeah, Tory Craig probably was ready to go. He, he looked okay in the minutes. So like this comes back to like, okay, yes, he wanted to play for a contender, but this was a dude who took like a minimum contract, one-year contract, which is not, not generally a good sign. Um, he might, Boonholzer might not have given him enough time to really evaluate him, but I'm at the point now with an end of the bench guy like that, where even even if you're John Horst and you're like, you should play Tory Craig more to see what we have. Unless you're going to fire Boonholzer over Tory Craig, which I just don't see them doing, at that point your hand is a little bit forced. Like, okay, let's just try and find somebody else. Um, I honestly can't say that uh, I expected, I guess, Tory Craig to um, do a lot more. And yeah, like he was literally fine. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not too torn up about it. it good for him to try and get a chance he'll probably start averaging like 15 and 6 uh in phoenix which would be hilarious but uh yeah i'm not too torn up about that i mean yeah it he <laughs> went from being one of the better defenders on denver who made the western conference finals to the bucks and we thought okay maybe he's going to be useful come playoff time i i don't know it i i guess i'm just whatever because how good are you if you're losing minutes to Thanasis? And uh, granted, I don't know is if that is Thanasis is just because he understands the system or because he's been here longer. I mean, we see that he has this rabid, chaotic energy that seems to inspire everyone else. You know, it, it, it's kind of tough to know, like, how much of this is this just wasn't working out. And maybe he just lost patience. Like, look, I get it, but I want to like pl- I want to play. Can you send me somewhere? Like, can we make? Maybe he they talked about it. They're like, okay, fine, we'll try and find a trade to get you somewhere where you could get that playing time. Like that could be it. Or 
again, I, I don't know because losing minutes to Thanasis is always going to raise questions. And granted, I don't know how much of that, again, is nepotism and stuff. But I hope wish on the best. I, I'm whatever. You know, would it have been good to see more to see what he can offer? Sure. But we're, what, 40, 50 games in now. And at this point, like, it is what it is. I mean, this isn't like DJ Wilson where it's like he's just not good. And we know that he's not good, but, you know, he had, like, one stretch of good play. Like, we assume Torrey Craig is at least decent enough, but he was also brought in on a vet mid. So, like, how much stock can we take into it? So, I guess that's where I'm at. It's whatever. I'm sure we're it's going to be a talking point, you know, come playoff time if the Bucks get torch on defense. Like, well, this is why we could have kept Torrey Craig. But I don't know. It is what it is. I, I think the difficulty with Torrey Craig was is, like, if you um... – if you theorize what his best role is, you like, okay, he's like a wing stopper guy. Maybe it's hard to imagine like, okay, is he so good on defense against like a Paul George type that you're going to throw him in there? Whereas if you think about a PJ Tucker in theory, because he allows a small ball lineup, which the Bucks have been going to a little bit more these past couple of weeks with Giannis at the five closing, I can understand a little bit more like, okay, PJ Tucker, maybe like in theory, they play similar roles, Torrey Craig on defense, but you can, you have more tactical flexibility with the PJ Tucker with who you can play around him. Um, and, and we have yet to see whether or not he's totally washed from like corner threes on offense. Um, so, so I understand the upgrade from that perspective where maybe they're theoretically similar ish players, but just because one unlocks and has proven over a number of years that he's able to play the specific role that we're more interested in. Um, I think that makes sense. And if you clear some, the other thing is we clear more space for buyout guys, potentially um, you might clear a little bit of minutes if you want to get like some of the rookies some more minute. I don't know how that's going to go, but I, I think it makes sense all the way around. And um, you know, he's just hope Tory Craig for his sake is able to, whatever, have a little bit of an audition in Phoenix. But I, again, I'm not too torn up about it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think maybe we're learning a little bit more about Craig potentially as a player given Denver let Jeremy Grant go. is kind of in need of a guy who's like Torrey Craig, but then they still didn't, still opted not to sign him. So maybe learning a little bit more about their internal evaluation of him. Let's talk a little bit about the absence left by DJ Augustine. I think it was generally a good move, definitely to get off his contract from next year. Really didn't seem like he was really going to work out with this team. And when you're on the sort of win now, basically win now mandate that I would say Horst and Bud both are at this point, you don't really have time to wait and see, see if these are the right collection of guys. So they jettisoned DJ Augustine. What are you thinking about the lack of backup point guard, lack of guard depth now, Kyle, with with Augustine out? I'm a little concerned at the lack of a backup ball handler because, in theory, that now falls to one of Giannis, Chris, or Dante. And, I mean, the Bucks managed okay at times without Drew. Like, there would get some games where they didn't do well offensively because Drew wasn't there. But most of the time, it was the defense that really suffered. So I'm a little concerned about that. I mean, Chris Middleton's having a good year, but I don't want him being the main facilitator playmaker on the team. That's just not – that's not what he needs to be doing. Dante can do it, but Dante will – he will give you great games. He will give you terrible games. He will give you great moments. He will give you terrible moments. Um, and it, that's just who he is as a player. I think Giannis's passing has improved this year, but, again, it's kind of like, well, do we want to – 
force him to be that guy. It just raises a lot of those questions, but I don't know who they're going to bring in to be a backup point guard. I mean, granted, we don't know what the buyout market's going to be like, but I know some people are saying Isaiah Thomas, and it's like, we complained that DJ Augustine is not a good defender. It is too small and gets, you know, cannot make stuff at the rim. So we're going to go with the player that is smaller than him, worse defensively. <laughs> and maybe he'll do a little bit better at the rim, but I, I don't know. And this is also a guy that had hip surgery and, you know, how he might actually be washed at this point. So I, I don't know. I just don't know who they're going to bring in. I It is a concern, but that's why I didn't want to immediately give my thoughts on the PJ Tucker trade when like that night when it happened, because I was like, well, maybe horse has another trade up his sleeve that he's going to make, but we'll see. I think the trade deadline expires this week and then we'll just see what happens in the bio market. But no, it is. That's probably now the new number one concern for the Bucks is the lack of a credible ball handler. I'm not too worried about the lack of guard depth because you still have Bryn and Pat at least, and they've been playing pretty well, but lack of a ball handler is definitely concerning. I, I, if I was objectively evaluating the team, I'd say yes on the roster construction. This is the concern. The DJ Augustine contract was such a gamble of like, you just hope this year is a good DJ Augustine year before he drops off. It was kind of like the Ursan deal light where it's like, we're hoping the front end of this, we get like a useful player. And if you're missing a George Hill type, it makes sense that you have a guy like DJ Augustine, like he's not going to do all the things George Hill is capable of, but you fill in the ball handler role. I think I'm not too torn up about it because the idea of, um, Moving off of that contract where you're like, even if he was playing pretty well these past couple of weeks, in theory, he's probably just not going to do a lot more past that. And we're also in a situation now where we have to remember Drew Holiday is a categorically different starting guard from Eric Bledsoe. Why did we need, why was a backup ball handler off the bench so critical for the Bucks last year or these past couple of years? Because Eric sucked in the playoffs. And we've yet to see... We're hopeful. It seems things are pointing in the right direction with Drew. And if they believe internally that Drew Holiday is going to be the guy and he's going to be very reliable. And we also have uh, Mike Boonholzer upping the minutes and being more willing to play these guys more minutes and structure the rotation so that somebody, whether it be no Chris is imperfect, Drew, that's not his ideal role in his mind. Giannis is probably not at this point. Like he's doing well offensive, but like starting an offensive set, not exactly his skill set. Um, but Boonholzer might think in his mind that these other guys, if I play them more minutes and we have a Drew Holiday type, this need for the backup ball handler, while it would be important, it's nice to have. Um, it's not as critical as it was the past couple of seasons. And so outside of it being a cold transactional move to sign a free agent and then immediately ship them off to NBA Siberia, um, you know, beyond that, I, I'm, I think they're going to be okay. And it, I thought it was actually super shrewd and somewhat of a miracle that they were able to move off of them as quickly as they did. It's one of those, don't get stuck in the sunk cost fallacy. If you think who you have on hand and you might have an ability to go and acquire somebody else to do it for a lot cheaper, do that. Don't worry about that and work it out from there. And let's spin it forward. Look at the playoffs. That's one of the reasons I think this deal makes the most sense is I did not feel good at all about DJ Augustine in the playoffs at all from anything I've seen from him this year, maybe he would make some three pointers and that would be good. But I I did not see nearly enough from him in terms of offensive creation to offset all of the defensive liabilities that he was going to offer. Teams were going to hunt him in switches. 
They, with the Bucks switching more, he was a terrible fit for that. Anytime they tried to do pick and roll coverage, he had to hedge like crazy and he's not fast enough to recover, do anything like that. I think he threw them completely out of rhythm on that end of the floor. And I, I was not looking forward to trying that and trying to tell myself come playoff time that they can make it work. PJ Tucker offers very little offensively, of course, might be able to hit a three, which is, which is good. But I think at this point, this team, it seems like Horst is saying, and, and we've, you know, we've seen in the playoffs before, occasionally they hit a, hit a lump offensively. But at this point, this team needs to be better defensively to have, to have, in my opinion, a chance of, of really making a run in the playoffs. And I think Tucker is a player that can play in the playoffs, can play minutes for them. So when looking at it that way, Kyle, I just see it as a, a big win in terms of swapping two guys who I don't see as being central or important in the playoffs for at least one player who can be. Yeah, I mean, both DJs were not going to help you in the playoffs. Getting P.J. Tucker, if all he's going to do is shoot corner threes, that's completely fine because that's the shot you want him to take. He doesn't need to do that much more. You know, if we need a big that can kind of be the spark plug on offense, that's why I have Bobby Portis. With defensively, as you mentioned, Adam, yeah, that's what they need to fix. That's what they needed to improve on. And I think that's pretty much why Milwaukee made this move because they're doing the switching offense and you can do, you can have him as your small ball five and let Giannis run at the four and that lineup can cause a lot of chaos and cause a lot of damage to a lot of teams. That's, you can even have it with Bobby Portis where PJ Tucker can still be the five, but Bobby Portis can kind of run around as a four. Like you can do, a little bit more. I do not in the history of time ever want to see Brooke and PJ Tucker on the floor at the same time. That cannot it's, happen. It's going to happen. It's just, going to happen. Just consign yourself season. to it. Yeah. I, I will be okay in the regular season because it's like whatever. It's the regular season. But if I see that in the second round or further in the playoffs, I'm go I might have to make my avatar a fire bud. I, I might get to that point. <laughs> the main issue is if Boonholzer usually when Boonholzer does that stuff in the playoffs, that means we have multiple holes in the ship and we're sinking. And he's like, you know what? That was like when Mir- that was like the Miritich game uh game five switch in the Toronto series. He's like, F it. Or he's like, we're just we're trying. PJ Tucker, you're the starter now. Giannis, you're coming off the bench. Like that's when you know the season's over at that point. Yeah. So that is yeah, no way in hell am I going to let that happen. I want that to happen, but I think it's it's still a smart move by Horace, and I think Budenholzer is going to carefully make sure that, you know, get him up to speed. He doesn't need, again, he doesn't need to be this, like, 20, 30-minute guy. He just needs 10, 15 minutes of clamping down on dudes, hit some corner threes, maybe fight a dude or two, and bring fire game to the sneakers. That That's all he's there for. If he does those things... Milwaukee will make a good run in the playoffs. My my two questions for you guys. So one, how awesome was it that Bobby Marks immediately put in like PJ Tucker's eligible for a two year, $17 million extension? I'm like, that's, I hope that's not happening. I thought that was hilarious. He snuck that in. Uh, but I guess it's nice that we have his bird rights. Can't imagine PJ Tucker's going to have a lot left in the tank after this season, but I would be pleasantly surprised if that's the case. Second, um, Super early days. We've only seen literally one game, and me and Kyle weren't paying attention during the game, really. But does PJ Tucker automatically go into your ideal closing five lineup? 
Is it, do you prefer so because I would think in that case it would be a small ball Giannis at the five lineup? Is that the lineup that we want Budenholzer to go to at the end of games? And does that mean Paige and Tucker is in that group? Not yet. It, he can get there, but I still think a closing lineup of Drew, Bryn, Dante, Chris, Giannis can do enough defensively and still have the firepower on offense to get the job done. I think almost in that case, so we're going to talk just random start closing lineups. I'd probably swap uh, Pat in at this point for Dante, just because you're going to have Drew, Chris and Giannis doing most of the heavy lifting and the other two guys are going to stand there. I, I'm just so like PJ Wait, gives you, you, you would swap Pat in for Dante, not for Bryn. Uh, maybe Bryn's, oh, wow. I, I feel like okay. Bryn is shooting too well. Like Bryn hasn't quick enough trigger shooting wise that I don't want to get rid of that. And Pat, I mean, Pat has played really well. I'm just worried about Pat's mean aggression shooting. No, so I, yeah. I, I have zero faith in Bryn in a closing lineup. I don't want him anywhere near the last three or four minutes that do work, sure, work hard, but like, I think they're going to absolutely destroy him when they switch. Yeah, who who has been part of like the closing lineups these past couple weeks? Has Pat Pat's been in like a couple of the closing Pat's lineups? Pat's definitely right? one of them. Yeah, Pat's. Yeah. I think it's been Drew, Pat, Drew. Chris, Giannis. I think one of Dante or Bobby. Yeah, depends yeah. on the game. I think this is the disagreement I was hoping we'd have on this podcast. So I'm <laughs> glad we got there. I, I'm just so like I, I like the idea, the theory of what PJ Tucker does, um, and there's a chance. It's so situational. I think any guy who comes in, anytime we continue to build the roster that pushes Giannis to the five, because I think it's been really promising as of late, especially the Giannis that we're playing now, where he's very much in control. He's very deliberate. He's thinking about what move he wants to do. Like again, a half second sooner than he was previously. That makes life so much easier for everybody else. It makes the team click so much uh, more seamlessly and nothing against Brooke Lopez. Um, but he has a very specific lane he's supposed to fill. And if you want to widen your strategic options, I think Giannis at the five is the way to do it. And so I'm appreciative of PJ Tucker, maybe in that lineup, just to give Boonholzer more comfort in going to that lineup at the end. I'm not sure. I would say, Kyle, you're probably right that he's not a shoe in at this point, but he's definitely a possibility. That'll be, I'll be curious. Um, one last bit. Let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about the smaller parts of the deal. The first round pick, the the swap into the second round next year. I'm curious about your guys' take on that. The the first round sort of swap from 2022 to 2023. And then also the potential, because now the Bucks are technically under the luxury tax and they are also 3.5 million under the hard cap and they have two open roster spots. The biggest thing about getting that far below the the hard cap is that now they can get a buyout guy immediately as opposed to having to wait until April 7th based on contracts that are prorated so they can actually get in that market. Um, anything stick out to you, Riley, from the from the picks that were done or the possibility to get in on the buyout market, any of those? So just to recap, the 2022 pick is Milwaukee's pick. It's not another team's pick. Yes, right? it's Milwaukee's okay. pick. They just got okay. it back. Gotcha. Okay. Um <sighs> I'm super bad at the draft, so uh, I I don't shed a tear for losing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't shed a tear for losing. I, it seems like you're not giving up a whole bunch for the possibility of a PJ Tucker and the salary relief of getting rid of DJ and then all, DJ Augustine, I should say, um, and also having the buyout possibility. So I think 
um, it doesn't feel like an overpay if they feel confident going into the buyout market. But th- this is the other thing about the PJ Tucker trade. I can't feel comfortable fully evaluating it until we see who they're able to snag on the buyout market. Um, if they get a guy who, as we discussed, fulfills or like addresses a little bit that backup ball handler issue, um, then I think you upgrade that trade from like a B to like probably like an A minus just because, again, you shuffle the deck, you get rid of a guy who's not playing at all and a guy who might not help you um, for a guy like PJ Tucker. So um, I don't know, seems it's these marginal on the side details that John Horse was so good at his first year, especially um, that eventually added up to getting uh, Nikola Miritich. And so I, I trust him if he's doing these sort of working around the Stepien rule and still retaining a little bit of draft capital for the future. So good on you, John Horst, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they still get a draft pick in 2021. It's just not going to be in the first round. It's just going to be the second round. And it's still going to be, because I think Houston's like the second to bottom in terms of standing. So pick 31, 32, not terrible. It's probably going to be cheaper as well to get a guy on a second round rookie contract in the first round. So that's probably, again, another thin margins. I think it's fine. I, I, I do want to see what they do in the buyout market just before I really want to make a decision on it because if they waste it on to like a guy that plays the four, for example, okay, that's just, that doesn't make any sense at all because they're not going to play. And it's just tough because you make the move to give yourself cap relief and now you can get a buyout person now compared to later. I think this is more, you know, this upcoming summer, it's going to be a little bit more helpful because, you know, you don't have that DJ Augusty contract to weigh you down. And then PJ Tucker is expiring. So in theory, I don't think they're going to sign into an extension. At least I hope not. <laughs> I hear Larry Sanders is making a comeback. If we sign him, does that mean we, does he just go back on the salary we're paying him for the next five years? Or what is that? <laughs> I'd be curious about what that means for the cap. I, I think if it's, so like the Isaiah Thomas idea, that's so, if it's Isaiah Thomas, this, the trade might go from a B to like a C minus at that point. I'd be like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is ridiculous. So I, I'm curious who they're going to go for. I don't know. I don't know. Like Jeremy Lin is like the one guy that pops in my head. Like I'd at least be okay with. You know, I feel like Jeremy Lin, he's not going to – it's not like he's going to need the ball that much to be effective. I'd be okay with him, but everyone else I, – I don't know. I don't know the draft, so I can't even comment on like, oh, yeah, just draft this prospect. I don't know about the bio market because I don't know if half of these guys are good. They used to be good like three, four yeah. years ago when I cared. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there that people are trying to speak buyouts into existence, and I'm like, I have no idea why they would do a buyout, but okay. The, the final thing I should say, if it's Isaiah Thomas versus somebody else, I just see if Brandon Jennings has anything left in the tank. Let's just third times the charm. Let's see if he's got it going. We'll <laughs> it won't make it happen. Oh gosh. Well, I'll say early second rounder. I know Brad Davison looked pretty darn good in absolutely game. not. <laughs> <laughs> The last thing I need is a dirty player like Brad Davison. <laughs> he fills the Zaza role, though. We've missed a Zaza player for a couple of years now at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and also, the only the only other thing I would say is, for anyone hoping for a real good buyout guy, I would say we were blessed with Marvin Williams last year, even though he literally retired 10 minutes after the buzzer sounded. <laughs> he, he retired was, mid-game. He yeah. retired mid-game. He's like texting from the bench like, this is it. <laughs> this is the ride, final ride. That is that is like probably the ideal 
bench like mm-hmm. buyout guy that you could even imagine. He played real minutes, filled a real need, and was a core core playoff guy. Like the team would not have been as good without Marvin Williams. So just uh, don't prepare yourself for someone that good. All right. That's a lot of PJ Tucker trade talk. That was fun. We'll, we'll see if, if Horst has anything else up his sleeve before the trade deadline. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of these games this past week. Obviously we haven't recorded in a really long time. So if there's something else you want to throw your temperature check in on, feel free. But Latest games were Bucks beat the Wizards twice, 133 to 122, 125 to 119. One was with just Russell Westbrook. One was with Westbrook and Beal. Um, Giannis had three straight triple-doubles. I don't know. These these games weren't that exciting, to be honest. Like, it was cool to see Giannis have three straight triple-doubles. But uh, it, I don't know. There, there, there was nothing super notable about either of these games. Did anything, anything stand out to either of you two? The only point that I would drive home is the fact that I think this is the first back-to-back mini-series against the team where we've won both games. Now, I'll go check this and find out that I was totally wrong about that. Uh, yeah, we beat the Cavs. All right, never mind. Um, <laughs> that was going to be my point, but I'm going to come back off of that point. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, do you have any thoughts? Uh, well, I, don't, I did not watch <laughs> the first Wizards game, so I can't even comment on that. The second one... The second one was just more of a the Bucks got out to a hot enough start that even when the Wizards and Bradley Beal specifically were able to claw back in, you never really felt like that game was going to you felt confident that the Bucks were going to win. So I guess good on them for realizing, okay, we need to be serious again for a couple minutes, but I don't know. It's the Wizards are just not good and it's hard to really take much into account especially when they don't have Bradley Beal in the first game and then in the second game they're they're at one point winning by like nearly 20 so it was bound to happen with a comeback but it's kind of hard for me to really take much from those two games I would agree Wizards did just beat the Jazz though so that's something that's something that says something that's, about them. That's proof literally any team can lose on any night in the, the NBA. The Timberwolves beat the Suns. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I would say is I think that Thursday game was the first time the Bucks have won this season after trailing by double digits at any point in the game. I think they were 0-13 to that point, which was a, a good nugget from Paschke. Interestingly, that trend continued in their next two games, which is funny enough. So Bucks take on the 76ers. They're shorthanded. They don't have Joel Embiid, so obviously it doesn't count. But the 109-105 victory for the Milwaukee Bucks was hard fought after an absolutely atrocious 31-point <laughs> first half. Like one of some of the worst basketball we've seen in a while. I think they said it was the lowest first half in the last five seasons for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I mean, shout out Jason Kidd for scoring lower than that. Like, uh-huh. that is really good. Um, Giannis, 32 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists. Um, Drew Holiday, 19 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Dante, 20 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. I mean, this was a rock fight, but I was just rewatching it this morning. It was amazing to me, Kyle, that the Bucks even won this game, given how poorly they played for basically three quarters. And the funny thing is, I said at halftime, they're act- I still feel op- cautiously optimistic because the Bucks' <laughs> offense was Wisconsin basketball-esque in terms of slow, ugly. I don't know if they're going to score. I don't know if they're going to get hit 50 at this point. It was bad. But the Bucks were just- the Bucks shot historically cold for three. But their defense was playing well enough that they could have maybe claw their way back into it. If things broke right, they could easily 
comeback win by double digits. Like that's how I felt because the defense was still very good. There was no issue with the defense. They did a good job. It's just because the offense was so bad, it looked worse than it was. So it was kind of cool to see them come back. It was kind of cool to see them. It was more of a slow chipping away. You know, it was like, okay, you're down, you know, 15, 19. Now you're down 11. You get it down to eight. Then it got down to four, three, and then you tied it. And then it was kind of a back and forth after that. So it was really good to see, like, it was just more of a gradual, like, possession by possession instead of, you know, okay, we got to shoot, like, we got to try and hit, like, eight threes to get back into it. So, like, just give the ball Giannis, let him attack the rim. He's going to get it. Dante's going to get a couple of layups. He's going to get it. Drew Holiday gets, he was the only reason it wasn't worse in the second quarter because I think he was the only one that scored. I don't know if that's true, but it felt like it. And then in the fourth quarter, it got to, the Bucks were able to still hit, you know, 30, 40% of the shots, but the Sixers absolutely could not make anything until the final minute. And that was the big, I think that was the biggest reason for Milwaukee getting back into that game because the Sixers offensively couldn't do anything in the fourth quarter and it was glorious. I think at one point they were shooting two of 17 for the field. So <laughs> it was great. I love how they're using the, we didn't have a bead excuse when you would have easily, when they would have easily said, Oh, we didn't have a bead and we still won. Like, it's great. Like, no, you blew, you blew that game. You guys were trash in the second half. Just take your L and move on. But I will let the Philly slander go to the main man that likes slandered Philly more and Riley. It's so we should credit Bryn Forbes going over ten and over six from three. Salute to you, man. Closing He's been a bit... up Bryn Forbes. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's amazing. <laughs> One point I have to. It, it was probably a technical free throw, right? I'm guessing that he shot. That's that's yeah. awesome. Good for you, man. I he, he appreciate had a that. that. Um, they got the third quarter. <laughs> he avoided the Tony Snell, and that's all you can really hope for uh, when you're coming off the bench. It's a disgrace for Philadelphia. I would be so upset if I were them. We sit here all year and we hear about how Ben Simmons is actually Giannis, but better. And then he comes out here and they drop it. They just, uh, and it fell out of their hands. And if I was a Sixers fan, it's yes, I would be like, obviously, because Embiid wasn't there. But what, what about this group of professionals that you choose to root for and they just lose it like this? What a disgrace. And we need to give more credit to Giannis. He only has four points in the first half. He scores, <laughs> he scores another 18 in the second half, closes the overtime with another 10 points. <laughs> what is this? I think this game more than anything, yes, the offense was awful in the first half. Really, really good to see the Bucks slow it's as kyle said we've been in the past where it's like okay we're down big either Giannis is going to do a lot of stupid crap and turn it over a million times and foul out or somebody's gonna have to get insanely hot from three and just pray to god that's just back into the game so deliberate and i think that's indicative of what this team has been we've seen it in closing possessions and close games even if it doesn't work all the time they have a lot more in the way of tools and like a calmer mindset in being able to slowly work their way back into things. They can go down, have an awful first half from uh, on the offensive end, go into halftime and say, "We'll be able to work this out." And Giannis steps up and says, "I, I'll take, I'll take on the responsibility. I'll do this for us." And all credit to the guy, he did. Um, I don't know. Between the disgrace of the Sixers, I, I think the bigger. <laughs> 
I'm so tired to hear about him, dude. And it's been years now. Every year, what do people do? They say the Philadelphia 76ers are coming out of these. And what do they do? They get bounced in the second round. They're the only team in the Eastern Conference who has a more embarrassing postseason history than us, expectations-wise. And I'm tired uh, of people acting. Boston, I would say. Recently, Boston has been much more. Philly is Boston without the Eastern Conference final appearance. <laughs> Okay, you're probably right, but it's I, I'm more tired of listening to Sixers fans because they have such a persecution complex. You know, they think they're the chosen ones. Like, there, if there was a Jesus team in the NBA, they think they're the ones. Like that meme where it's like they hated him because he spoke the truth. That's what they think they are, and really, they're just two bit liars, is what they are. And I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm glad we proved them wrong. And I hope they remember that. And I hope. Joel Embiid is back for the next game, and I hope we smack him for that one too because I'm tired of listening to it. That's my analysis of the game. <laughs> Love that it. may have to be that may have to be pulled out and posted as its own article uh, on Roof because I'm that so was, tired of it, dude. That, that was a heck of a sermon. Wow. Um, I don't know where to go from there, but uh, okay. That very very great points about the Bucks changing away. <laughs> We saw we here's the thing, here's the thing. You are so right, Riley, in that in the past we just see Giannis like bowling into dudes or maybe someone starts hitting some threes. But in this one, if you watch the third quarter where like they they kind of got back into it, they only cut it to nine by the end of the fourth, but it was occasionally Giannis driving to the rim. Sometimes Drew was getting to the rim. At the very least, there were a couple other players, like Brooke was hitting some big threes and the kickouts were actually working. And then down the stretch, I mean, you saw there was a what could have been a dagger three close to the end of regulation. Um, there was, I think it was Drew driving, getting right down the lane, scoring an easy basket as the Sixers defense just like fell apart. Um, so you saw all these different pieces go together. And even though it didn't work, the Chris to Giannis attempted alley-oop that would have absolutely ended it in an amazing way. Like that's not something we normally see. And it wasn't like it was a transition alley-oop. It was like a set play. They're just like, okay, well, Giannis clearly has position. We're going to be able to get this to work. Like that, that is something that we wouldn't normally see. We might see someone like pull up for a three, or we might see them get it to Giannis and then just kind of bounce it around. Or Chris does like a tough shot express or something like that. The, the diversity of the offense uh, in that one and even in the um, – in the Spurs game too, after that, that has just been so much more heartening to see that they've found different ways to score throughout this season in ways that are beyond shoot a three or Giannis drives to the basket. Yeah. I, I think that point, it, it, again, it points an exclamation point to how different Giannis has played. It's not to say that he's not capable of coming out in that second half and putting the team on his back and getting it done because we've seen him do it. He's had masterful games. Those like 52 and 50 point games. I was just looking at those. He turned it over once in one game and no times in the other game. He's had times where he can be masterful for 24 to 48 minutes. But in this season and in this game, yes, he takes on a lot of the scoring load, but he's still getting other players involved. Um, it, it, I think that epitomizes how good he's been. And one other thing I should say, um, credit to Boonholzer. We talk a lot this season about he's been doing adjustments. In the second half, he plays what was essentially a six-man rotation um, with Pat Connaughton and a couple minutes of Bryn Forbes. But he, the game was on the line, and you could have gone into the half and been like, you know what, it's just not our night. We'll kind of lack a days goal. It's not, you know, Joel Embiid's not out there. But instead, he he said, we're going to try and win this thing. And we're going with the starters, the guys that are going to play the biggest minutes. And we're going to up their load. And 
they responded well. So I, I want to give a shout out to Budenholzer as well for, um, I, I wouldn't say the struggles in the first half were his fault whatsoever. It's just shots weren't falling and, uh, you know, some bad defense and things like that. But in the second half, he, he trusted with his guys regardless and it paid off. Uh, do we, anybody have any comment on Dante getting 30 feet out of position to <laughs> at the end of the game and a regulation there or any feelings on that? Okay. Yeah. It was ugly. You know, he gambled. <laughs> it was not the gamble to go with. It burned him badly. If Korkmaz doesn't make that shot, no one's talking about it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all okay with it. We're happy that we won. We'd move on. He unfortunately made it. Goes into overtime. Everyone's like, what the hell, Dante? Like, why? And I was minutes earlier, like, I always trusted Dante. I have my Hamilton gif always, like, out there. But, I I mean, Dante was a good part of why that third quarter was slowly chipping away. Like, along with Giannis, like, Dante did his part. He was able to get a couple baskets. He was able to hit some threes on catch and shoot especially. So I do want to give credit to Dante. Bud did a good job with limiting his rotation. Pat Connaughton came in. He made some big plays. Like, the guys that were there made the plays that they needed to, which was really important. And also, shout out to Thanasis for picking up a technical foul. And it seemed as though, like, after that, the referee, I think they called, like, a offensive foul on Benson's, like, the next possessor or something. Like, it seemed as though they needed someone to get a fire out of the ref's ass. And Thanasis did that. Getting a technical from the bench is always impressive. So... I give props to Thanasis as well, but yeah, the guys that were in there in the second half, each of them made some key play, whether even, I mean, even Chris making that layup at the end, which, you know, we could see and and in replays, like maybe you should have just dribbled it out or passed it somewhere else and waste more time. But at that point, at least you made the layup, you made the shot that you needed to, you got it to at least three. So worst case scenario, you go into overtime, which happened, but each player made plays that needed to happen so i think that was one of those things that we didn't see last year you know last year maybe Giannis makes plays maybe chris makes some plays but dante's not making the plays that he did tonight last year maybe george hill would have but i don't feel super confident on that brooke lopez probably doesn't he would have been just firing threes for the whole half like he wasn't going to get baskets down ball so just kind of like what Riley's saying, like what we saw was different than what would have happened last year. And I think it's just good that each of these guys are learning, especially like how to win ugly. I've been saying it. Learning how to win ugly is going to be needed. Even if the opponents are as bad as fraudulent as the Sixers, you still got to learn to win ugly. Yeah. And I know it's annoying. Ben Simmons did play very good defense on Giannis. And so what was it? I thought he played really good defense on Giannis. You know what? If he was a defensive player of the year, you should be guarding the best guy at all times. Like when Giannis was roasting Dwight Howard, Ben Simmons should have taken him on his own. All right. This is true. This is what was encouraging about it is that Giannis didn't get frustrated by being stonewalled. He was able to search out mismatches and find other ways to score. I thought one-on-one Ben Simmons was actually very good against Giannis. That's all I'll say. No, I, I would like to give, give each of you time to comment on the Giannis sitting on the 76ers court uh, moment as well. If you don't want that to happen to you, play better basketball. That's all I have to say to Philadelphia fans. If you don't want Giannis to stunt on you, stop him. You're the best team in the league. Stop him. If you can't, shut up about it. Yeah, considering Embiid was trolling the crowd way back on Martin Luther King Day, like 2017 or something, and he was trolling the crowd. I'm just saying, like like Riley said, if you don't want it to happen, do better. And honestly, I like he just sat down. That's all he did. It's not like he went Terrell Owens and celebrated on. He just sat just peaceful. 
I think it's weird because we talk so much about like, ah, oh, this is so annoying. All these players, these teams, they're buddy buddy. And then, don't get me wrong, I find Joel Embiid extremely loathsome, and I find him annoying as well. But it's more character to the game, you know. Like you want, you want some personality. You don't want every team to be like, uh, you know, good game. I want my players to stun the other team if they end up coming back in the second half. It's it's fun. It, it's not doesn't have to be all that serious. Uh, but again, play better if you want to stop them from doing that. If you're really upset about that. All that losing, he still can't stop that Greek man. <laughs> <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyable win. I'm glad we got all this Philly slander in that we could. Next game, Bucks beat the Spurs 120 to 113. If the Brewhoop DM chat was any indication, this was one of the most watched games mm-hmm. in terms of uh, notes that were taken down, etc. Giannis has 26 points, eight rebounds, 15 assists, which tied his career high. Chris Middleton, 23 points, Drew, 21 points. Um, Lonnie Walker, the uh, Spurs player who was drafted one pick after Dante, goes for a career-high 31 points. Uh, But this one, you know, this one was interesting to me because it kind of just went. It was like the Spurs, Spurs, you know, they shot their mid-range shots. Annoyingly, they hit a lot of shots at the rim, which was frustrating. I was just checking the stats. They shot like 77% at the rim, which is very good, but they barely shot down there. So that's something um, bucks did pull out some interesting wrinkles in this one went zoned a lot more than I feel like we've seen recently also went to the switching, switching defense. So it was nice to see bud go through all three of those different phases in one game. I feel like that's not something we see often. So it was good to see him break that out against the Spurs. Maybe it had something to do with trying to uh, dissuade them from shooting from the mid range. But anyway, I don't know. Kyle, anything uh, interesting you wanted to mention about this Spurs game? It was, I mean, the Spurs were just like annoyingly staying in it by hit. Like, it seemed as though whenever Milwaukee got up to like a five or six point lead, the Spurs would hit a three and it was back down to two. Or if the Bucks would get like a layup and be up four, the Spurs got a layup on their own. It, it was very much a, you. they could not create the separation until the last two or three minutes in this game. And I mean, that's, Credit to the Spurs, you know, Greg Popovich is probably the greatest coach in the world in the NBA. So it's not surprising that he is able to find ways and make the adjustments that's needed to keep them in the games. As long as he's coaching, they have a shot. Lonnie Walker had a very impressive game, shot the ball really well. Props to him. I don't know why we're all of a sudden deciding that Dante is trash and that they should have taken Lonnie Walker when this was not being said for the last two or three years. But you know what, Bucks Twitter, you do you. You find your new scapegoat. Brooke Lopez has been playing well recently, so we got to find a new one. So I guess it's Dante. Whatever. I'm over it. But it, it it was weird just because there wasn't it wasn't necessarily an ugly basketball game. It was just an uneventful game. Like I like even when you try and watch it, there's nothing that necessarily stood out. Giannis had one cool dunk, but it just felt like a team that was obviously tired in the Spurs that had played the day before against a Bucks team that kind of knew we can win this game because we're just simply better. But because the Spurs have Greg Popovich and they have these guys that can hit these shots in Lonnie Walker, they were getting good shots at the rim. They, they stuck around, and, you know, I, I think if this was, you know, the Clippers or Lakers are more top-tier team instead of the Spurs, I think we would have been saying, wow, this was a really good basketball game, but it, was just, it just felt uneventful and boring. I think Kyle emphasizing when you try to watch, because there was a lot for me trying to watch and failing to watch the game last night, so I don't have a lot of commentary. However, uh, the, the one thing of note is P.J. Ducker played, 
me and Adam both noticed the same exact possession where he hiked his shorts up, getting into a defensive stance to stop DeMar DeRozan, and he successfully stopped DeMar DeRozan. Um, he looks like a really thick guy. Uh, not thick, like, slow, but he just looks like he would really suck to try and get around. He just looks super strong. Um, he didn't make any baskets. I think he misses one corner three. Uh, not, like whatever again we all go in expecting very little on offense and i think we'll be okay if he gives us very little um but a couple of positions where he switched on to guys he was able to like a damar or like a couple of the other guards keep up with him off of the perimeter or getting into the mid-range there were times where you can clearly tell he doesn't for obvious reasons because he had like i think all practice with the team where exactly his spots are going to be um adam your point about him helping way 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 off the weak side shooter very much bud ball so he's got that down that's really good to see um i I think all things considered from what you're going to be hoping for from pj tucker in particular pretty promising uh 12 minute outing uh yeah i don't know there there wasn't a whole bunch more that i would say to take away but i didn't really pay that much attention so i can't speak strongly to it one way or the other I would say the one thing is is just an evolution of what we've seen all year. Giannis with the 15 assists, it, was, it wasn't just kicking out to threes. There were a lot of really nice dunker spot finds that he's had. And he's really, he's really getting good at that. Gets really close to the basket, has like four men draped all over him, and then does a little wraparound pass under the basket to someone who's cutting in. So I, I think he's getting real nifty at that. Um, and I, I, was, I was curious about it, so I looked up passes that – players um, received from Giannis for the Bucks this year how and how those players are shooting on threes. Last year on like 9.5 three-point attempts, passes from Giannis, players shot 34.4%. This year on 10.3 three-point attempts, they're shooting 41.2%. Really nice uptick. They're also shooting 41% on passes from Chris Middleton to the three on smaller volume. But I think it just goes to show you that the passing is really working for Giannis this year. He's passing it just a little bit earlier in those reads. And uh, I, I think it obviously the, the Spurs game was, was big because he didn't have to, didn't have to take out much of the scoring mode, but obviously all of his teammates delivered for him. And I think it also helped with Bryn Forbes being in this team as well. You know, he, they did a lot of dribble handoffs to Bryn and Bryn was getting some good looks from three and he was hitting those. So I, I think just having someone who actually is a good shooter will help Giannis assist numbers as well. You know, instead of hoping that, I don't know, Robin Lopez or Eric Bledsoe, you know, it just, you get an actual shooter out there. He's going to make his shots. And Pat Connaughton was hitting and Pat Connaughton and Bryn Forbes, I think, especially hitting the threes that they needed to, they played pretty well as well. So good on them. I think Bryn wanted to prove a point to the Spurs as well. I'm not going to complain with that happening. Um, you also forgot the corpse of Kyle Korver in terms of shooters that we thought That's we were going to have. I but, legitimately yeah. forgot about him. Yeah. <laughs> um, final point before we go into miscellaneous. Is there any player on the team whose three-point shooting is less sustainable than Bryn Forbes? Bobby Portis is the other guy, but Bryn Forbes, some of the shot attempts, Bobby is very consistent every single time. He grabs it. He kind of like looks down, steps forward, shoots. His three-point form is so consistent. Bryn Forbes... He's fallen away. He's turned it around. He's coming off the handoffs. I mean, all credit to him. I, I can't imagine it continues, but it's been it's been wild to watch some of the threes he'll make, and it's just like, okay, yep, he's that's going in, I guess. Uh, so I'm not sure if there's anybody less sustainable, but 
Um, I, I think, Adam, your point about guys receiving passes, shooting better from three, it reflects both the talent level. And also we should say that across the league, league-wide, three-point shooting is up. Um, it, that feels like that's probably going to be consistent because I don't imagine we're going to have full arenas by the time the season ends. Um, so you can just only hope that that continues for us. But it does feel slightly unsustainable, but maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Only other thing I thought was kind of interesting is they did use Tucker a little bit on, it's not really an inverted pick and roll because he's technically like the center in those small ball Giannis lineups, but we did see a couple of those in those Spurs game uh, in the second quarter. It's kind of an interesting formation because he's not really an above the break shooter, so he's not going to really pick and pop. So I'm going to be very curious to see what sort of a, how he works, either it's as better as an off-ball screener, or how those on-ball screens with Giannis work. So that'll be fascinating. That let's touch two things before we go to miscellaneous. It's been a while since we recorded. Giannis won the All-Star MVP. Uh, Kyle, were you excited? Did you care? What was your reaction? I it was cool. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot going on that night. They had the royal, uh, they had the Meghan Markle, Prince Harry interview with Oprah at the same time. Like I watched Coming to America. It, it, there was a lot going on. But it was cool to see Giannis get it. It was cool to see he didn't miss a shot. Like it, it was cool. It was a good good for him. Congrats, Giannis. Couldn't I, I? I saw the first quarter score and I was like, yeah, this is after LeBron drafted that team. I was like, there's no way they're gonna lose this game. Uh, agree. I didn't watch the game, so I don't really care. Uh, it felt like a weird thing to try and do in a pandemic, but okay, league. Uh, yeah. Giannis has the most fun personality of any of the superstars um, out there. He continually proves it every week, and uh, it's a joy to have this 26-year-old dork on our team and be the greatest player in franchise history. So good for you, Giannis. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't watch either. Good for him. And then <laughs> Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd, potentially to UNLV. Riley, I'd like you to take this one. It was important that you I, reminded us of it. I, I think this is – so. You know, not to speak about his ability as a head coach in the NBA or an assistant coach, I think it's really a good move on his part to skip the step of waiting for Rashad Vaughn to come to his team. Just go to where Rashad Vaughn came from. Be the one that enables the Rashad Vaughn. Um, so in that regard, uh, good idea. I, I can't help but think that UNLV is throwing uh, bad money after bad, uh, but whatever. If they want to do it, go for it. Go for, Good for you. Honestly, Jason Kidd should probably just be a college coach because then he has full control of who he wants on a team and everything like he would get all the power that he desires and you know what why not put a shady dude at a shady program in a shady city it's a match made in heaven yeah that'll be uh that'll be we'll have to do over-unders on days before there's a recruiting scandal and wherever jason kid ends up all right thanks for bringing that up riley we're uh we're gonna take a quick break on the other side of this we'll do our miscellaneous topics and close it out so stay tuned all right, we're back. Rapid fire questions are here. I got them for you. All right, first one: in or out on the new earned jersey? In. I'm all. I'm in. I'm out because I'm tired of the uh, block lettering. I, I think the cream lettering is nice, but I'm tired of the font that we have. I want them to improve that, so I'm out on them. Wow. Kyle, what do you like about them, about the in? Because I know you hated the blue ones so much, so I'm curious what you like about these. I think this green actually works really, really well. I, I think that shade of green is perfect. I like the subtlety of having the antlers on the side, at least. I mean, the Irish rainbow is cool as well, but having that antler on the side, it just looks a lot better 
than I had because I we saw leaks and I was like, that's going to look fine. And then I saw the actual picture I was like this looks kind of cool. I think ideally I would want this to be the third jersey, like just instead of having their black fear the deer, find a way to make this their third jersey and maybe make it act like make that cream and make the antlers green. I don't know, but I. I just like that shade of green. It looks really good. It looks really good on the players. It just seems more. It just seems sharp. Even with the black lettering, it looks sharper. It's a lot less busy where our primary uniforms have green, cream, white, blue, black. Uh, that's, that's a lot going on there. So it is a lot cleaner. I do want to give a shout out to the coaching staff wearing all blue coats or jackets uh, while everybody else is wearing green. I, what was that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was happening there, but that's cool, I guess, last night. Oh, all right. Next one. A hard or soft shell taco? Soft shell. Yeah. 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 Okay. I've made I've made hard shell at home, like homemade on the stovetop, and they're pretty good. Um, so they that has opened the conversation, but generally I'm gonna go for soft shell. Yeah, I was gonna say like at home it's fine, but when you go to a restaurant, you have to get soft shell. Yeah. Okay. Do you own a pair of basketball shoes, not Greek freaks? Yes. And I'm so, pretty sure I have a pair okay. of Jordans. So I, I I don't know if I consider them basketball shoes because I never wear it for basketball reasons, but I would. they probably are basketball yeah, shoes. Yeah, that's sort yeah. of what I – like I guess shoes by like a basketball player or whatever. Yeah, I, I have a pair of Jordans, so I will say yes. Uh, no, I, I bought – back in college, I bought some random Nikes from Kohl's. And they gave me the worst blisters on the planet. I used them maybe twice. And I was like, all right, well, that's it for my basketball career. So I do not have any basketball shoes now. All right. Next one. Are you a fan of zoos? I liked them a lot as a kid. I think as an adult now, the morality of it is, it makes me feel a little suspect. Um, so I'm mixed on zoos. I, I like going. I think it's really cool. I think it, they serve an important purpose for helping educate, especially like kids and people about like the importance of ecology and protecting the environment. But the, the morals of it, I'm like, eh, do we need to have this giraffe in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Is that the right <laughs> thing to do? I'm not sure if that's the right thing to do. So I'm mixed on zoos. Yeah, like I don't see the appeal going, but I also have a child and that child will see the appeal going. So this is an easy... This is an easy babysitter, like walk around the mm-hmm. zoo and they can look at all the animals. So I'm also mixed. I, it's kind of like SeaWorld where it's like I cannot in good faith feel good about going to this. <laughs> but if that is good source of entertainment for this child, especially the one in Madison, because it's free. Free, free zoo. I, I can't complain too much, but it is People morally. Are- ugh. We should give credit the Milwaukee County Zoo for being a zoo in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, all places. Pretty solid zoo. I've been to like the yeah. Como Park Zoo up here. It's a super, it's a really nice zoo, especially in the summer. I always loved as a kid going to the Milwaukee County Zoo. So shout out to them, I guess. That was always one of my favorite field trips was going to the Milwaukee County Zoo. Yeah, super cool. All right, next one. You have to eat one of these things with no condiments on it. Would you rather have a burger, no condiments, or a hot dog, no condiments? It's going to be a hot dog. I got to go for a hot dog. Yeah, I was like, I, I need either ketchup, mustard, or a, even cheese on the burger. I'll go hot dog. Yeah. All right. It's a good choice. Last one. You are you are asked, sent a formal invitation to join the Rim Rockers. Do you say yes? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
I don't. I I can only imagine. Maybe they'd be able to train me up, but I if they put me in like, you know, if I was one of the guys like, you know, waving my arms in the background, rim rocker, okay. But like actually doing what they do, no, not at all. I'd break my neck, and I'm not about that. Yeah, I I can't do it. I would chicken out. I no. <laughs> you really have to commit. Like that's that's with right. all these things. Is like you have to commit to doing a front flip in the air, and if you're not, you will sustain horrific injury. Like you got to run at full speed, then you got time to jump right on the trampoline, and then try and do some kind of trick. No, that is a lot more work that I don't feel comfortable doing. Okay, that, that's I would, the right answer. I would too. like tear an ACL or like break my leg or something. I wouldn't worry about my neck because I will find a way to brace the fall, but I will break some other bone <laughs> in my body. Yeah, we all, we all have that friend in our friend group who would have done the Dream Rockers, and we, that's uh-huh. why we are all at home on a Sunday recording. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That was fun. Next one. Film review is back. Kyle. All right. So we talked about High School Musical a few weeks ago, so it's only fitting that we talk about High School Musical 2. Um, as the first one, the music, still good. The story, still terrible. But <laughs> I, it, it's all right. Like I said, there wasn't as many bangers as High School, the first High School Musical, which is understandable. But, you know, as you watch, you're like, oh, yeah, this was good. Okay, this is still good. So I will give it, I think, what did I give High School Music? Like, I think I gave it like a six or seven. So I'll give this one a 5.5 or six. Like it's, the story is much worse than the first one. It's just a dumb story. But like, if it wasn't for the music, you wouldn't watch this movie. I agree. I I think um, Bet On It is that that's what the name of the song is, right? With Zac Efron? Yes, yes. So that song, and then is it Fabulous by Ashley Tisdale? Or whatever, where she's in the pool, the pool, the pool segment. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those two songs, utter bangers. Love those two. So, uh, based on the strength of those, I think a five point five is accurate. I despise that softball song. I remember watching that. Oh, that one is funny. It's just enjoyable. Like it's funny to watch. The I don't. Yeah, I think it's okay though. Like Corbin. Oh, I don't. I don't dance. Is that what? Is that what? Yeah, it's solid. It's enjoy. It's an enjoyable one. Like I'm not gonna sing it, but I enjoy hearing it and seeing the dance, like all the choreography for it. All right, I need to rewatch it. It's been like I, I was probably at like peak cynical, stupid Adam. Like oh, I was, I don't like high school yeah. musical. So I was probably near end of high school, being in college for yeah. Like yeah. at that point, you're like I'm done with Disney. Like I'm not Disney. No, no. And maybe when we maybe when we get around to putting together the Brew Hoop Podcast Patreon, we'll just do uh, we'll do watch alongs and we'll just record while. <laughs> watching these that'll be the way to do it yeah no one sign up for that uh coming up next <laughs> fountain pen so we have an ink this week um it's back to robert oster our good friend from down under robert hoping you're doing well uh i don't know how, hopefully you'll find us again via this taiwan blue this week i'll show you guys the sample first Hold on. it's not good lighting not very good lighting but this is Against all odds, probably one of my most favorite inks I've ever used. The reason why I say this is um, the blue, it's like playful almost. I don't know how to describe it. It's like uh, aquamarine almost. And the thing that's really cool about it is if you use a nib that's kind of thicker and it puts on a lot of ink, it sheens red. So you'll go from like red to purple to blue, especially when you first start. So if you start a sentence and you get a lot of ink down, it'll start red. It gives a lot of really cool like depth to it. Um, and 
I don't know, it's just a lot of fun. I, I'm not really sure how else to describe it. So a lot of blues can be very straight laced. Um, they're an ink that people use for like office documents or things that they need to work things for work. Um, and so you're, if you want something that has more like fun to it, you're going for like a turquoise or an aquamarine or something that's like really out there. This one fulfills the criteria of being like, it can play a straight man blue, but it also has a lot of kind of interesting characteristics to it. So I'm really pleased with it. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to end up refilling this a couple of times. Normally I'll do one refill, then move on to another ink. This is going to be one of those ones where it justifies another refill. So I'm really pleased with this one. That's cool. Yeah. Very Taiwan cool. Blue. Yeah. Robert Oscar, Taiwan, Taiwan Blue. Robert Oscar, Taiwan Blue. Yep. All right. Let's close it out with our predictions for the week. Four games this week. Monday, these are all home games. Monday against the Pacers, and then Wednesday against the Celtics, Friday against the Celtics, and Saturday against the Knicks. What is your prediction, Kyle? I'll say three and one. I I think they beat the Pacers. I think they beat the Knicks. And I think they get what I think the Celtics steal one. It feels as though they always play close, and obviously in the first game of the season, the Bucks lost on a bank Jason Tatum three. I, I think as PJ Tucker still works his way in, I think he's going to get more minutes. I think they're still trying to work things out there, but uh, I'll say three and one. I feel like one of those Boston games they'll fall short on, but I don't know which one. Um, I think we're going to go four and zero. People aren't talking enough. It, uh, Andrew, salute to you, Andrew, if you're listening. In the chat, has been slandering Boston nonstop. And he's right too. They've been one and four in their last four games, and the only win game came against the really awful Houston Rockets. Um, they look like they're out of sorts, and we should at this point. I think we're getting to a point now where after the All Star break, it looks like the Bucks are kind of hitting a different phase of where this team is developing. Um, it, given the competition, given the way they're playing, that sort of like very even keeled way they're playing, I think a four and zero week would be pretty reasonable against the competition. I'm going to agree four and zero. I feel I feel good about this week. So rare case where Riley and I are both more optimistic. And, than and Kyle's the hater. Kyle's the hater Whoops. this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We know how that'll end. Then yeah, this yeah. will be bad. Yes, we do. Uh, well, that was a lot of fun. It's good to be back on the uh, podcast waves. Thank you to everyone for listening. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our usual coverage. Share the podcast with anyone else uh, that you think would enjoy it. We'd appreciate that. I guess review it. Uh, and thank you so much to everyone for listening. We'll be back to talk to you again soon.